Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Welcome back to another episode of the Western Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Krebs. Today, I've got my good buddy, Reese Anderson, from Northwind Taxidermy. Reese just got back from a spring bear hunt, so I wanted to get him on the podcast and have him share the story and the hunt with us. And we might talk a little taxidermy, too, because I have a bull elk at Reese's shop. I believe the we're waiting on the tannery. Um, is that right, Reese? Waiting on a form now. Oh, we're waiting on a form? So I got to pick a form. Yep, we'll have to pick a form once we're done with this. Perfect. We can get that rolling, and then we can uh, get that fired off. I just bought a farm to put it at. You just bought a farm? I bought a farm, yeah. Um, Not too far. Well, it's, I mean, relative, right? You're from Dickinson, so it'd be north of that Cabela's we met at, like, 20, 30 minutes. It's 40 acres, big house, heated shop, plenty of hunting. Um, sounds like the seller has shot a couple turkeys and a couple does off his deck with the bow. So pretty jacked about that. So I have plenty of space to put that elk and my other one when we get moved in. Yeah. Heck yeah. So, but the real reason we got you here today is to talk spring bear. You just got back what late last night. Yeah. We, uh, pulled in about eight thirty nine o'clock last night. Okay. Uh, about 11, 12 hour drive. Okay, so you must have been in uh, Montana then. Yeah, we were uh, western Montana, about fifteen miles from the Idaho border. Oh wow, that's that's a long ways up there. We were elk hunting. Well, it depends on which part of the you know Idaho border, but we've elk hunted in two different spots, pretty darn close to the Idaho border, and we saw black bears in both places. Oh yeah, there's definitely a high population of black bears, like. I said earlier, we were in sign every day we were out. We were finding tracks and scat. Yeah. Was this a rifle hunt? You were doing rifles, right? Yeah, we were all going after them with rifles. How many guys, how many tags did you have in the group? Uh, So what it was, it was basically just four buddies. We, you know, decided, we probably decided about a year ago that let's just start doing these out-of-state hunts, you know, go for about a week kind of learn some new country, you know, explore a bit. Like, don't get me wrong, we all love hunting the Badlands, but, like, let's just get out. So um, two of them last fall went down to South Dakota, antelope hunting. I was unable to go. And then about January, uh, they hit me up. I was actually uh, mounting birds here in 
three of them walk in and they go, let's go uh, spring bear hunting in Montana. And I turned around. I was like, okay, I'm down. <laughs> really how it went. And we just started planning the hunt. Um, we planned for, oh, good three months. We just planned, e-scouted, um, trained. I mean, there's, we were the guys at the gym with our packs and 45-pound plates walking on the treadmill. Yeah, and I've done that. Tell you what, that helped. Yeah, especially if your gym has a stair climber. And yep. you can get, I mean, it's obviously you can't go quite as heavy on the pack on the stair climber. You just kill yourself. But but I was doing, I think I did, at most I did two plates on a pack frame on the stair climber when I had that North Dakota tag. And it made a huge oh, difference. I mean, I was, I went to Montana right after that. And I was running around on the hills. Oh, yeah. We, I mean, we definitely had people staring at us, like, what are these kids doing? But, um. Once we got up in those mountains, it was just like, I mean, each hike up the mountain every morning was like two and a half, three miles up the mountain. Oh, great. Yeah. I mean, so, so the bears, are they above the tree line this time of year? Or is that what the plan was, is to get up like way up high? We were, we were basically trying to get up to a clearing where we could see south facing slopes, mm. try to catch them feeding or just kind of coming out of the tree line. Um, we stayed anywhere from 3000. I think the highest elevation we got was about 5,800. Okay. Yeah. But that's all relative. After that, we actually ran into snow. Yeah. That's all relative based on like how tall the, how tall the Valley floor is and like how tall the mountain is. Right. You're still Mm -hmm. talking like 3000 feet of elevation climb, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, did you, is the spring bear tag, is that a draw tag? Like, does someone have to build points, or can you basically just pick it up as an over-the-counter? It's a straight over-the-counter tag. Okay, so anyone can go any spring and do yep. a spring bear hunt. Correct. That's that's not common anymore in the no. West to just pick up a tag and go hunting. I mean, you have, like, Colorado elk. If you get early enough, you can do Idaho elk. I'm not aware of too many other tags that are straight over the counter, especially for a non-resident. Yeah, yeah. you just basically go on, like, the Montana Game and Fish website and buy it, and you can either print it off at home or they'll send it to you. Oh, perfect, perfect. What's the season where you – so you, it's we're recording this third week of May. You just got back, so you were hunting the second week of May. What's the season time frame look like for a spring bear hunt? Um, it opens. It opened April fifteenth, and it closes May thirty first. So it actually closes this weekend. Oh, okay. So man, April fifteenth—that seems early. That That's seems like early. you better bring a snowmobile. Yeah, definitely. You'd be definitely running into a bunch of snow. Yikes! Did you guys see any like elk or deer or anything else to pass the time uh, out there? It's actually, we were on the way home, and we took two pickups down. One was pulling a trailer with an ATV, and me and the guy that was driving his pickup, we kind of made the comment on the way back, man, we saw everything but a black bear within shooting range. Like, I mean, <laughs> you name it. We saw mountain goats, moose, elk, deer, saw a wolf. I mean, everything but a black bear in shooting range. That's crazy. Well, walk us through like the walk us through the whole story. Like leaving, um, are y'all from Dickinson? Like you know, loading up, getting out there. What you thought, finding camp, you know, the, through the hunt, 
and just kind of give us the rundown of how things went. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're all from Dickinson. Um, most three of them, the other three were firefighters for Dickinson. And um, we kind of just all met at my shop. Uh, would have been Sunday would have been a week. So Sunday morning, we all met at my shop and kind of loaded up the trailer, loaded up the pickups. Um, all my hunting gear is still at the shop. I just dropped it off last night and said I'll deal with it today. And we headed that way, got to our cabin about 8, 9 o'clock Sunday night. Kind of had a game plan for Monday, and we went out um, south of our cabin, drove a little ways, got on the ATVs, started driving these logging roads. And we started then got into a hiking spot and man, that timber down there, thick. Like we thought, oh, we could get up on this high ridge and be able to see. Uh, we underestimated how tall those trees were. <laughs> it was it was basically just walking in the forest day one. So black like black timber, like full on black timber, oh, don't blow down. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. And so that was kind of day one, kind of learned that we have to, you know, stay away from the, we got to stay close to the timber, but stay away from it as well. Yeah. Got to find some clearings because we won't be able to see. So then uh, day two, we went down on, so it's called Swamp Creek. It was north, kind of north of our cabin. We got into some more open stuff and. Um, one guy ran into a mountain goat and I mean, there was bear sign there. Like we were walking in, there was tracks and scat right on the trail. And so we were like, okay, like we should be able to see a bear today. And we got up, me and a buddy climbed a, uh, like rock shale cliff to get up. Yikes. Yeah. We didn't realize how steep that was either. <laughs> I have a video on my phone of him throwing the rock down and you can just see the rock tumble and tumble and tumble down. Um, didn't end up seeing a bear that day either, but we're like, okay, like we're kind of in the open stuff. We're seeing more sign of bears. Like we're starting to get them more figured out maybe day three and day three comes and me and the guy I was hunting with on um, Onyx, we found this, one mountain range we're like man it's open like there's some burned timber like it screams bears yeah from everything we've read and listened to it screams bears and he's like okay let's do it in the morning so all four of us get up and we drive to the bottom of this mountain get the atvs about halfway up before we have to start walking the actual trail and we look up and this was by far the hardest climb it was 2,600 straight up. Yikes. And so we zigzagged up this mountain and it was, it was foggy that morning too. So we're like, okay, we have the fog for cover. They're not seeing us coming. We're going to get up on this ridge. We'll spread out along this ridge and someone's got to see a bear. So I took the far ridge because I'm just an overachiever like that. <laughs> and um 
uh, sat down in this burnt timber and I'm glassing, glassing, and I see literally the smallest brown black speck. I mean, 16, 1700 yards out. And so I'm fumbling with my spotting scope. And right as I get my spotting scope, like right where he's at, he's cresting over the hill to the other camp. And I was like, well, like, got a good enough look at him. I knew it was a black bear. Yeah. And so I text, we had service on that mountain. So I text the group, like, hey, I got a black bear over here. And so I was like, I'm going to sit out till dark. And then thinking maybe he'd come back on top and maybe work his way across the ridge and never got another look at him. So we are like, okay, you know, we know what we're looking for now. And that's when two guys started walking down the mountain. And I mean, I just heard the story, but we laughed about it all week. Um, they're walking and the one guy goes like, okay, there's gotta be a bear on this trail. There's scat when we walked in, like fresh scat. We got to bump. We have to bump a bear on our way out. And he said maybe 20 yards later they were walking, and one of the guys goes, "Bear," <laughs> and it was like 70 yards, and they're fumbling for their rifles, and they finally get their rifles pulled, and the one said he had his crosshairs literally right on him, and just about to pull off and. The other guy goes, don't shoot, there's cubs. Yeah, and sure enough, sure enough, two cubs run out. So they just cut, and then she runs off with her cubs. And so like, okay, you know, we saw bears day three. We know what we're looking for. Um, like day four, it has to happen. Day four passes. Um, we went to a different area that kind of looked the same, a little more open logging roads. Didn't, we didn't see sign that day, no bears. Um, you could, we could tell that the other two in our group were kind of like checked out for the hunt because um, bear hunting, it's a physical hunt. Don't get me wrong, like hiking, you know, 2,600 feet up that mountain, but we didn't realize how mentally tough it is. You mean just like staring at a mountain all day long in the glass and waiting to see a bear? Yeah. And if you talk to most guys that go bear hunting and are successful, they don't see many bears. It's not like deer hunting where, you know, 50, 60 deer come out to the field every night and you're constantly watching those deer all night, but you're still waiting for that one shooter to come. Bear hunting, I mean, most guys on their trip see 10 bears. Wow. Yeah, that really puts it in perspective to see, like, only 10 in a group of guys on, like, a full week. I mean, if you saw that many elk on an elk hunt, you'd be like, man, I just don't think this is the right unit. Like, there's just not a lot of elk here. And, like, what, what we all, like, read and, like, listened to was, like, if you find sign, you're in the bears. Like they're in the area, just stay by the sign. Yeah. And so that's kind of what we did. We, every spot we had, we found sign. I mean, my Onyx right now is so blown up with waypoints. But I mean, we hunted hard for seven days. 
I mean, yeah, we didn't come home with a bear. We'd like to, but um, just being in that country was like the hunt of itself. Yeah, and and it sounds like you guys saw all kinds of other game too. So at least you're seeing some stuff to to keep you entertained. But it's it's mm-hmm. funny because the years that we've gone elk hunting in bear country with nobody that had a bear tag, we usually have like very close black bear encounters. Then every now and then we'll be like, dude, if you don't want an elk hunt, just bring a rifle, buy a bear tag in the fall, and come shoot one of these black bears we see. So when someone does that, we don't see any black bears. Mm-hmm. It's wild. I mean, we've had encounters under 20 yards with black bears when we're elk hunting in the fall. Like, we're doing a calling setup, and one just starts walking by the woods, like walking down a game trail right at us. Or, you know, we'll be walking through the black timber, and we see, like, a tree starting to shake, and, like, something's going up that tree because we jumped a bear. It's crazy how close we've gotten to them when we're not yeah. trying. And then as soon as you go out and you try to get a black bear, they're nowhere to be found. Well, yeah. it. I mean, it was definitely a hard hunt. Um, definitely going to do it again. Um, we're looking into fall black bear right now because um, one of the guys heard or read somewhere that our tag might be good for fall. Okay. It might not just be a spring bear tag. It's just like a bear tag, but you can use it spring or fall. Oh, so that'd be sweet. Yeah, we're we're looking we're looking into that. Make sure that's true. If so, I know I know we're going back. Yeah, is it one of those things where you did it and you got close enough that now you you just feel like you need to see it through and like punch the tag? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. The only bear I really saw was maybe thirty seconds at you know seventeen hundred yards. But, um, like, just being that, even that close to getting one was like, okay, like, I, like it's addicting. <laughs> yeah, like, it me, is. Me and the guy I was driving with, we, on our way back, we're like, dude, bear hunting's addicting. It's something different and highly recommended to, like, everyone. Well, and the nice thing about spring bear especially is there's, like, nothing going on this time of year. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a shed hunter, yeah, you can be doing some shed hunting, but that's not really going anywhere. Like, if you take a week off to do a bear hunt, it's not like the sheds are going to walk away, right? Exactly. So you can always come back to do that or do it ahead of time. But other than that, I mean, I guess turkeys, but most people that are serious turkey hunters, they go, like, go out, shoot their turkey, and then they're done with that too. Like, you're not, like, yeah. hunting turkeys all spring. No, I was done with my turkey, I think, the second week. Yeah. And that's probably, like, when you first had time to go out and actually do it. <laughs> I went out opening weekend and saw turkeys, and but there was too much snow on the ground still. Oh. Opening weekend. And then that also, like, like on a bear hunt, when we talked to the uh, rangers and, like, some of the locals, um, they said the same thing. Like, bear hunting this spring – is definitely different than most springs that they've had because they really didn't have a spring just like us in North Dakota. We went straight from 30 inches of snow to nothing and 80 degrees. Okay. And same over there. I mean, we hunted every day, but our last day, I think, was upper 70s, 80s. Wow. That's... That's incredible. That's hot. <laughs> That's yeah, um, hot. I didn't know I'd get sunburned on a hunting trip, but 
I mean, hunting in short sleeves and now I'm sunburned. Well, yeah, especially when you're outside of the tree line. You know, I've gone elk hunting every year for the last seven, eight years, and I've never gotten sunburned, but that's because we're always walking through the black timber. Like, we're in the shade mm-hmm. pretty much all day long, but you're doing something like that, and, yeah, you're going to be sitting just sitting in the sun for 10 hours a day. Um, yeah, that bear hunting definitely is definitely the longest hunting days I've ever been on. Especially over in Western, Western Montana, it doesn't get dark until like 10 o'clock at night. Well, yeah, especially when you're up on the mountain, it even adds to it a little bit, I bet. And, and after climbing yeah. that 2,600, you're not going to go back to camp for lunch. No, <laughs> no, you pack in everything. When you, you said that in. you guys were staying in a cabin, was that like a forest service cabin or like an Airbnb cabin? We rented an Airbnb cabin. Um, we kind of we kind of made the joke that we were roughing it because we didn't have a hot tub. <laughs> um, but we all kind of just wanted we wanted to you know camp it out, tent it, and do kind of a backwoods thing. But we also wanted a shower for seven days. Yeah. So we're like, let's just you know let's just get a cabin. We'll have a shower. So we kind of just rented the cabin just for the shower. Honestly, we found a cabin in Wyoming there where we elk hunt and the forest service, it's a forest service cabin. So you, you can rent it out on like the U S forest service website, but it has, it has a shower, full bathroom, full kitchen, electric heat. It's got like seven beds in it, a chest freezer. I mean, and it was dirt cheap, especially for like seven guys. One person slept outside on a tent. Um, just because we, it was a little cramped to actually put that many people in it. Um, but it was phenomenal. And it was like 50 bucks a night. We drove past one of those in Montana. Yeah. I think. Yeah. They've been, a lot of them are just like wood stove bunks, no water. Usually there's a well outside. Um, but obviously no shower and usually like an outhouse, which is still better than a tent. I mean, you're going to be a lot more comfortable there than in a tent, but it's not quite the same as like what you guys had. We did tent one night just to say we did it. In the um, front yard of the Airbnb or did you tent up on the mountain? No, we, we tented on the mountain. <laughs> okay. We, we actually had a steak dinner over the uh, fire. We brought some steaks and made them over the fire. You see, that's why that vertical climb was so rough is because you're carrying up stakes and tents. Uh, maybe. Probably what is worth it, though. Um, oh, yeah, it definitely was. That was. I mean, that was probably the best steak I've had. Yeah, for sure. We did. We've done elk steaks when we do get an elk, like the tenderloins. Man, are those good mm-hmm. over the fire after you just put in a long day? Yeah, especially if they're fresh. Yeah, we've done that in North Dakota uh, last fall. Buddy shot a velvet mule deer. Oh, nice. And yeah, the then back check got put on the grill as soon as we got back to camp. I did it when I did the North Dakota Bowl. I left for Montana with the big group like four days later. And so I took one of those back straps. Man, I had the biggest steaks out of that bowl. I mean, it was like inch and a half cut. Like, you know, they're probably each a pound. And I mm-hmm. brought 10 of them. And I didn't even use up one back strap. Like, it was only half of one back strap. Oh, no, yeah, you don't realize how big them back straps are on elk. Especially like Compared big elk. Big grain-fed elk. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so how did you guys, how did you guys go from 
you know, deciding you're going to go do this bear hunt to actually like knowing where to go. Like we're going to go because Montana is a huge state and black bears are across almost the entire Western half. Did you just yep. like throw a pin at the map? Did you have it like a hint or like a, somebody that gave you a tip or like, how does somebody go about picking a bear hunting spot? Um, we kind of just, I mean, we did our research, you know, on like hunt insider Onyx, mm-hmm. all them great apps there. And we kind of just, you know, like you said, we kind of just threw a pin at it after we did our research. Um, we could have, you know, looking back, we could have threw a little more research in on where more of the population's at. And because, I mean, it's obviously spread out mm. throughout that state. Um, and we kind of did it on access too, where we were hunting. There was a lot of, um, trails to hike um log a lot of old logging roads so we kind of did it on that aspect like we're gonna have great access here okay other than this other spot because we had a spot in like southwestern montana picked before we went western montana okay and um we were looking at it we're like man there's not many like old logging roads there's not trails to really walk like we're gonna have to hike through the timber yeah it's gonna make it 10 times harder yeah that so would be rough we moved away from that and then went to this other one with like better access do you think you'd go back to that unit again the next time you go bear hunting or would you try a different spot um we would go back we were i think we were actually a little late with it being so warm, mm. like I said, I mean, we went middle of May. Yeah. I think if we would have went beginning of May, it would have made a huge difference on weather wise, um, the South slopes of how, like everything when we went was green. So, you know, we talked to the locals or, you know, the, um, articles we'd read, you did say find green patches on South slopes. Well, it's hard to do when the entire South slope slope is green. Yeah, and half the north slope by now is green as well. Yeah. Yeah. So those bears at that point could have been in, like, they could have been on the north slope. Yeah. But you can't really glass the north slope because it's all timber. Yep. So, yeah, we would definitely go back, try maybe, you know, beginning of May, maybe a little end of April, see if that makes a difference. Um, I know we've kind of looked into going a little further north towards the Canadian border next time already. Okay. Yeah, that's the hard part about anything in the West is when you go and you pick your unit, especially if it's your first time in the unit, unless it's like a slam dunk, no-brainer, we tagged out, you know, four of us, we shot bears days, two, three, four, and five, we went home a day early. Well, that's Mm -hmm. obvious. You're going to go back to that spot. But when you have the hunt like you had, it's like it's such a hard decision, like – the bears, it wasn't as good as we thought, but it was our first time there. You know, we think we could do things a little different, go a little earlier, have a little bit more success. But at least here we know what we've got. We start to know the mountain. We kind of know the roads. We know, like, we have our trails in and out. We got, like, intel versus, like, so it's like, do I give up what I know I have with this unit to try to find something better? And you could stumble across a gold mine or you could stumble across a desert and you have no idea – 
So it's like, do we go to a new spot or do we just stick this spot out since we've been here once and we kind of know it? Exactly. Um, like I said, I mean, my phone's loaded up with waypoints of bears, tracks, all my trails. So um, we spent, you know, that first day when we were hiking through the timber, like that was, you know, our learning. Okay. Yeah. We kind of wasted day one. Yeah. But I'd, we'd rather do it on day one than day six. Right. Well, and um, day one in a new unit, like. It, that's what it's going to be every time. Yeah. Every every time, every hunt. Like your first day in a new unit, you're not likely going to shoot anything unless you get yeah. extremely lucky. And especially, like maybe if you're like road hunting, like in southeast Montana where you can see all kinds of game no matter where you go, that'd be a little mm-hmm. different. But when you're having to hike in and glass and find an animal, day one is all about learning, right? Where are the mm-hmm. roads? Where's your access points? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if we went to another unit, it kind of, I don't know if it'd be like the same. We yeah. kind of have to learn the area a little bit more. Right. Um, we did learn that we have to, like, utilize Onyx, like the 3D. Oh. Because like, when you look at it on t- 2D, it looks open. And you flip that to 3D, and you're like, okay, there's a lot of timber still there. It's okay. just short timber, so it looks open. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, those 3D maps would be big. And just to be able to see, like, if I get here, what will I actually be able to see? And you think mm-hmm. you can see that grass opening, you know, but there's a ridge in between it, and when you get to the 3D, that ridge just blocks the entire view, and you can't see that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a big one. So, yeah, if we move units, um, we'll definitely spend a lot of time on Onyx. And who knows, we might just spend, we might drive up, one weekend and just literally just drive around. Yeah. Kind of just a little scouting. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a good way to do it. Just get there a little early. And if you have this type of lifestyle or job that allows you to be flexible with your trip dates, then you could really start to dial it in. Like, okay, the mm-hmm. snow's starting to melt. The south faces are starting to burn through and open up. Like, let's go tomorrow. But for most of us, like me included, I don't quite have that level of flexibility. And a lot of people don't. Like, a lot of people have to put in their vacation requests, like, months in advance, or they have to plan it with the family, you know, a whole year in advance. And then you're mm-hmm. kind of locked in. You better hope the weather's right. And out west, man, the weather's no weather. never right. <laughs> uh, yeah, the weather cha- – we learned also that the weather changes at a split second. Um, last day, me and my buddy were sitting up on the mountain. He texts me. He goes, um, we have a severe thunderstorm warning in 30 minutes. I go, huh, it takes us two hours to get down the mountain. <laughs> Ouch. And uh, so we're sitting out, and I go, yeah, we'll sit it out. So we, you know, throw our rain jackets on, and I, I get under a tree, throw my rifle and pack under the tree so they don't get wet. And we can see it coming in. And it just comes in, and not, I mean, not even a drop of rain. Really? But we still have, and then it starts, you know, gets sunny again and like okay you know this kind of front came through and maybe these bears are going to come out now yeah you can definitely tell that the temperature dropped from it and so you know we're being a little hopeful it's our last day and it gets dark not didn't see a bear and he comes meets up with me and we literally take five steps down the mountain and it starts downpouring. <laughs> oh, 
And we're like, great. And so we, you know, slowly start going down this mountain. And it's, you know, a rock. There's like um, shale rock, loose shale rock. And so it's getting slick. I stumble once, slide down. He catches me. I get back up. He stumbles once, goes about another 20 yards, stumbles again. And before the hunt, he was playing softball and um, like sprained his knee. Yeah. So he falls and he goes, I, I just heard my knee pop. Ooh. And I go, like, you good or do I need to carry you up the mountain? And he's like, no, I'll be good. So, you know, he grabs his, uh, his sticks and we slowly start going down the mountain. And we're about two, three switchbacks down this mountain now. And it starts hailing. Oh, gosh. And we're like, yeah, this, we were yelling down the mountain, either it's so slippery or this is so much fun. Yeah. Because, I mean, we were hiking down the mountain, pitch dark, in a thunderstorm. That's wild. It was that, so, yeah. This whole thing happens at night as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we got there. We got the severe thunderstorm warning probably about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. But we could see it coming, and then it passes, and it got sunny. And we didn't see the other one coming, and it came in at dark. Oh, jeez. That just shows how quick that weather out there just flip the switch changes. Yeah. Um, for Christmas last year, my brother got me the Sitka, like, rain fly. I don't know if you've seen it. It's, like, like the roof of a tent, and you can either, like, okay. tie it to trees. Or it's it's just a – it's a Sitka tarp, really, what it is. It's just a tarp. Oh, yeah. Two of the guys we were with had the Stone Glacier ones. Yeah, and I'm like, man, I've been caught in some, some pretty gnarly stuff. And like you said, it usually doesn't last long. But no, they don't. It can be so it can be so bad that like everything is soaked instantly. It's like as light as that tarp is, I feel like I'm just gonna throw it in my pack anytime I'm in the West. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Because yeah, all of our stuff was soaked. I mean I had my tarp with. I just had a, you know, cheap ten dollar tarp that you could get at a hardware store packed with. Yeah. Just, you know, get out of the rain. But we're going down the mountain. In the dark, it's like we're really not gonna yeah set this tarp up. We're already soaked. We're just going down. Yeah, once you're already wet, you might as well just get back to the cabin, take a shower, and put your clothes on the dryer. <laughs> but if you can, you know, where I think it would make a huge difference is on a like a rifle hunt or a glassing hunt, where you're it's just a rainy day, like it's gonna rain yeah. all day long. We don't want to waste a day of hunting, so at least we can get out, set it up get underneath it and just glass and be hunting if it's just kind of one of those wet days. I mean, if it's just absolutely downpouring all day and we're bow hunting elk, we usually like, all right, we're not going to waste our time and just get exhausted and wet and tired and not probably do much anyway. Because usually on a nine-day hunt, you kind of need a day to recover anyway. Yeah, I mean, we did seven days and we hunted hard seven days, but – we could tell, you know, like those other two were done. Like yeah. they were done day four. Yeah. They, they needed a Yeah, so take that day if the weather's like, we love to take the day if the weather is crappy and we're already like four days in. 
just take a day, recover, hang out at camp, go maybe go to town, take a shower, get a burger, and then hit it hard for the next three, four days once you start to get that plan underway. Otherwise, like you said, you're just, like, miserable because you're sitting there in the yeah. rain all day. Probably not shooting much anyway. Yeah, nothing's yeah. going on really. Yeah. Um, did you do anything special for the rifle and, like, bullets and caliber, or did you just use whatever rifle you use for deer and elk? Um, I used my deer rifle. Okay. I just passed my 7mm08. Okay. Um, I mean, I was, I don't know, looking back, I thought I'd be able to get a closer shot oh. if I would have had a shot. Um, so next time I might, you know, do something a little different. Honestly, might practice a little long range. Okay. Um, I was thinking, you know, three, 400 yards. But most of these uh, canyons and whatnot, we were glassing. I mean, you're taking 600 plus. Really? So then you'd probably get to like, are you thinking like you'd go to like a 30 caliber? Um, Probably. Yeah. And then do something like custom wise. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I got that Rough Rider gun company right out by you. Must be like, I don't know if it's. Yeah, they were like 20 miles away. Yeah. That'd be a cool custom rifle, custom long range bear rifle to get. Um, yeah. That's why I was just curious because I've never even tried to shoot a bear. So I would, I mean, I'd be pretty confident that my 300 wind mag with my elk bullet would do the trick, but I didn't know if there's yeah. like special considerations or, you know, do you want to go heavier, lighter, all kinds of different things. I don't know. Everything we read, um, we're kind of reading bears. I mean, you kind of, their vitals are further back than a deer they're not like up like you know where on a deer you're aiming you know front shoulder yeah or a little behind the front shoulder so you don't take the shoulder out barry you kind of it's more like center of the body really type deal. yeah it's kind of weird so that would have been definitely different aiming at you know the center of the body okay um but um with my rifle i mean if i had to take a 600 um, it would have been a little bit of a poke, but yeah. I think it could have, yeah, I'm pretty sure it could have got the job done. Yeah. 600, it just seems like a long ways, especially when you're looking at shooting it and you're like, man, I shot a 498 on a bedded mule deer two falls ago. And man, it's like, it's just something about it. We're like, this is a long shot. Like, I it's hope this different. works out. So I took a 430 on a white tail four or five years ago. Yeah. And, um, I mean, hit him and he went like 20 yards, but like over here, 430, I mean, that looks like a ways out. Right. And then you get to Western Montana where you have the canyons and you see that other can, like the slope, you're like, oh, that's only like 300 you range and it's like 650, 700. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I don't know. It, Something about it just makes it seem like it's closer, but it's out there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's uh, – yeah. And I, when I took, like, a long sh- – every long shot I've taken, I've been on bipods. Uh, twice I was prone. Um, once I was, s- like, seated but on a on a face, so, like, super comfortable. But, you know, I'm mm-hmm. always trying to make sure I have the best rest possible. But, man, does it feel good when you've got that 300 wind mag and your shot's, like, 150 yards. And you're like, mm-hmm. you're dead. 
one hundred percent. Yep, that's I love those. You know, two hundred or two hundred yards and less shots. Like, yeah, you're done. Exactly. I did one on an antelope with my three hundred one meg out in uh, not too just west of you, uh, South Interstate, West River, um, at a doe antelope tag. Crossed you over by kind of like the KG road. Yeah, Probably. and um, exactly, and and I had a antelope, a doe antelope at 110 yards with my 300 wind mag, and mm-hmm. uh, I was actually really impressed. I think I'm gonna keep shooting antelope with that 300 wind mag because it didn't. I don't think the bullet even expanded. Oh, just straight through. Straight through, double lung. I cut out maybe two tacos worth of meat from bullet damage, and that was it. I mean, oh, that's not bad at all. No, not bad at all. I didn't hit any major bones. Like if I would have hit a major bone. I would have had to, you know, cut off half an antelope, but I, yeah, and the antelope aren't big to begin with. No, I would say that doe was like a young white-tailed doe, in size, okay. like a like a year and a half old white-tailed doe, mm-hmm. which those aren't that big either. But it was, I mean, there was a fair amount of meat. I mean, I think I got thirty thirty-five pounds of meat off of that antelope. That's about what my brother got off his. My yeah. brother had a doe antelope last year. Yeah, he shot it with a doe. So, I mean, if you're going to buy 30 pounds of hamburger, 150 bucks, the tag was $30, so it was a fun weekend. Mm-hmm. So, And it was the first thing I shot with that rifle. So. And it's a lot more fun than going to the grocery store. Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. I mean, if we're talking just like getting meat in the freezer, it would be, to me, this is probably controversial. To me, it would be more fun to do like a, to go out and find the steer that you want to shoot and shoot it and take care of it yourself and bring it home just to get your own beef than to go buy it at the store. Yeah. So obviously that's not really how it works, but I would rather do that than buy it from the store. Um, but, uh, so I was going to ask you before we switched gears to antelope and rifles, uh, I've heard your story a lot with the black bear hunting. And that's kind of why I wanted to get more people on for black bears. Cause it's, it's not a slam dunk by any means. No. Those things are it's like, awful. they have great noses. Like if they smell you from like 800 yards away, I've heard that they will bust you. And yeah, you won't see them. And maybe that's also what, you know, that's a good point. Maybe that's also what went wrong on our hunt. I mean, it was 80 degrees every day. So hiking up that mountain, we broke a sweat. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's we no way to control your scent out there. It, like don't yeah, even we try. We throw our packs in the pickup. Yeah, and we drive back and we'd go, "What's that smell?" We're like it's our packs. Yeah, like just our, like, I'm gonna wash my pack this week. All sweat. It, it, oh, it just reeks. Yeah, from sweat. And yeah, there's no way. Like I said, there's no way to control it. Like we sprayed down every morning. Um, I sprayed down up on the mountain afterwards. Yeah. But still, like there was a couple of days I'd like, you know, turn my head and get away from my yikes. <laughs> yeah yeah that does that does factor in and there's like there's a lot of bears in montana but there's not a ton of bears in montana no i just i looked it up a couple of days ago at the cabin um rough population is about fifteen thousand, and it's big state it's a, it's a very big state, Giant state. so it's not Giant like you state. said you're not going to go see a herd of black bears in no. one shot and get to pick which one you want to shoot you know me and the guy I was driving back with on our way back, we kind of said, you know, it was still kind of a success. It was all our first black bear hunt. Yeah. And we saw four. 
That's not bad. For seven days. We're like, hey, we'll, we'll call it a success. Yeah, because the what what the difference is is if you would have like everyone would say, "Well, oh, I'd love to see more than four, but if you'd have shot two of those bears, you'd have been ecstatic." Like mm-hmm. first year out, we went fifty fifty, shot two bears, right? That would one of us would have shot a bear. Yeah, if that one been. bear at seventy yards was a male or a sow without cubs, you would have been happy to shoot one bear and seen two, right? Because it, it's like that's what it's about. Like you're not gonna go out and see a hundred bears. Like you could see a hundred elk or a hundred deer on a hunt. And that's where I was going to go with it is I think there are places where you can go out and be picky about which bear you shoot, right? If you go to Canada and you go with an outfitter that's doing bait, um, you could do that. Or if you go to, like, southeast Alaska and you're doing a shoreline bear hunt, then I think you can probably – you'll see bears and you get to maybe pick which bear you want to shoot to some degree. Would either of those options interest you or do you want to stick with, like, the mountain bear hunting? I don't know. Um, I had a, I have a buddy. He shot. Well, this was why he was way. I think he was even might have been junior high. Him and his dad went up to Canada and they did a black bear hunt over dogs. Oh, treat them. Yep. Um, they shot two giant black bears. I mean, his went like six nine. Wow. Um, his dad's went over six. So. Um, I've thought about, you know, looking into that. I have a client actually right now. He's up in Canada. I think he's doing the bait and tree stand type deal. I saw he posted on Facebook that he just went to bear camp when we were driving back from our bear hunt. Um, I don't know. There's something about, I'm just kind of stuck on spot and stock. Yeah. But those options definitely, you know would be different and I think they'd be fun but I think I want to get a spot and stock black bear first yeah that's what I was just gonna say I feel like it's like you started the spot and stock so you probably want to see that through and then once you do that you might be like all right next I want to shoot one from a boat trip like I want to drive a boat around in southeast Alaska and find a bear and shoot it and then you know do the bait pile with archery yeah or like the dogs yeah try it each way but, yeah, now that I have the spawn stock started, I feel like if I switch to bait or dogs, it's like kind of be like cheating myself out to get a bear. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Like, no. not that anyone would care, but you would know. I would I would look up. It would obviously be hanging in the shop, and I'd be like, yep, I kind of cheated myself out. Yeah. So, speaking of the shop and taxidermy, do you mount a lot of bears? Because you're not really in a bear-heavy area of the United States. No, I get – I probably get four a year. That's a lot. That's more than I would have guessed. I suppose that's um, locals that are going to, like, Montana to yeah, shoot a bear. Most – I haven't done a life-size bear yet. Um, I was hoping to with mine. Yeah. Um, I've done a couple rugs and – I don't know. I didn't think it would be popular with bears, but, like, you know how guys will, like, you know, get, like, pelts made for, like, coyotes and fox? Yeah. I've had guys do that with their black bears. Really? Just tan them and then hang them on their wall. Like, I've, no rug. I suppose, like, a fall bear, maybe, because they got, they're putting all the furs or just better in the spring. I don't know how that would work. Yeah. I don't, yeah. And I've had a few guys. I've had a buddy do it 
him and his brother did last year. Yeah. But they're Montana. Um, Bears. Yeah, that would be an interesting, like, do, like, a bear pelt. Like, if you shot, you'd probably need a few of them, but you could do, like, a, a bear pelt blanket for your cabin or something. Good. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, so, speaking of the taxidermy side, and we got an elk that we got to figure out what uh, what form to get for it. And so, we'll yeah. talk about the options after the podcast. But what's your favorite animal? Like, what's your favorite mount to do? I don't know, man. They all, you know, right now I'm kind of stuck on birds right now because I, I work in, like, I don't like going from, like, mounting birds and then going to do, like, a deer shoulder mount and then back to birds and then deer. So I, like, do all my birds at once. Okay. Where my mind is, you know, the same process every time. You know, get all my birds done, and then I'll go into deer. Or I'll do, or I'll actually do like ten birds, and then like three deer. Sure. And then back to birds. When, but, so, I know on the big game or like animals, it's pretty common to you send the tides off to the tannery because it's yes. so much easier and all the chemicals involved in it. Yeah, um, I know a few taxidermists that in-house tan. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's also like, okay, I'm a solo shop. Right. I don't have the time to do that. It's a lot of work, and you're probably not actually going to save any money. And it's not like you can charge twice as much for a whitetail just because you do the own your own tanning, because they'll just go somewhere yeah. else. And I mean, my, I mean, my tanning bill's not crazy expensive. Yeah. Any means that just. Yeah. It's like I'll just send them off, and when my hides are there. I have no deer antelope to work on here. So it's straight birds. That's what I was going to ask. So, you know, when you send the hides off to the tannery, what what's it look like to, to preserve the feathers and the skin of the bird? I mean, that part just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so I've learned two different ways now. Um, I don't think I was on your other podcast after I went to that other class. Okay. But so I learned... In, I went to school in Billings when I first started. Learned birds and, you know, we, you know, skin the bird and get, you know, the fat and meat off the skin as much as you can. You wash it, don dish soap, get the grease out of them, dirt, whatnot. And then we would put them in like a tanning bath. They make a chemical that's for birds to tan the skin of the birds. And I mean, my birds were turning out, but they weren't, I could tell I, I wasn't happy with how my birds were really turning out. Okay. So then, um, uh, another taxidermist that job shadowed me, he was saying there was a, some like masters, um, week long class up in Minot for birds. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go. Okay. You know, like 800 bucks, I'm going. And so I went up there and it was, I mean, the process that I learned in Billings and that one, totally different. Like, I was like, yikes. And in Minot, we didn't put them in a chemical bath. 
we just washed them and um, tumbled them in our like tumbler that's basically corn cob grit and borax. Yeah. We just put a little more borax in that tumbler and then rubbed the skin with borax. And that was it. And that They're just that just preserved them. Do you have to be like really delicate and careful with the feathers so they don't fall out or are they pretty pretty secure? Depends on the time of year for the birds and how old the bird is. Obviously, like say you bring me a bird, um I'll look over the bird before I even accept it. Yeah. Because birds have are called pin feathers. Mm-hmm. Pin feathers are any feather that's not like secured into the skin to say. Got you. Yeah. I've always heard that like with pheasants, you can't, you can't mount an opening weekend rooster. It's just not going to work. No, you can't open, you can't mount a third weekend rooster probably. Yeah. Unless it's an old bird. Yeah. So what Um, happens when you get to like the head, the wings, the feet, like to me, I don't even like caping out a deer head anymore. Like it's hard. Like it takes like, it takes me like two hours to do it right. It probably takes you 20 minutes or, you know, five minutes cause you're good at it. But to, for me to do like a full, to think like, do you do like a full face off cape on a bird, like down to the mm-hmm. beak and everything? Yeah. So you just use like an exacto knife to make sure you get like the perfect line around the beak and all that stuff. Yeah. My birds, you know, laying on the table, take the exacto knife and right where that, um, like feather line meets the beak line. Yeah. You just basically trace the beak out and you just start, you can start peeling that away with your finger now. Really? What and about the wing? Just, Do you like get the bone out of the wing and everything? No bone stays in. You just get the meat out. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Um, Interesting. Once you get to like the shoulder, you can like peel it past to the elbow and you can get, um, all that meat out, and then you got the ulna and radius that have a little bit of meat in yet. And you can peel in about halfway, three-quarter ways, and you can kind of dig in there a little bit and kind of just scrape it out the best you can. Okay. So everything with a bird is in-house. Like, you don't ship anything out to get done with the birds. Correct. The birds are – I'll take some birds out today. They're just in my freezer, and by this weekend, they'll be put together. So if someone wants to get, so we talked about this on the other podcast, right? If someone wants to get like an elk done, you're going to have to reach out and be like, Hey, I live in Wyoming. You're in Dickinson. Are you coming this way at all? I'm going to come through in two months. Can I drop something off? Like that's really the only way it's going to work out. That's what we did. You were doing a trip to get some mounts. We met up at a Cabela's, gave you my elk. With a bird, though, I suppose someone could do it right, like reach out and say, hey, I got this pheasant. I liked your podcast. I want to get this mounted with you. Um, you know, And you're going to be like, well, I can't look at it, so when would you shoot it? And you're like, well, I shot it December 21st. It, I didn't break any wings. I didn't break any legs. It's perfect. you know. And then you'd be like, okay, you know, put it in a sleeve or like, I know people use like stockings or big socks to get the feathers yeah. to weigh right, freeze it, put it in like an insulated cardboard box, put some dry ice on it and ship it to me. Does that work for the birds a little bit easier? That would work for the birds. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I would still look over it when I get here. Yeah. Just obviously. to make sure. Um, every bird's going to have pen feathers no matter what. Yeah. I've never mounted a perfect bird. With zero pin feathers. 
are you doing like full strut turkeys too then or is this more uh-huh. pheasants and ducks I have my spring turkey that'll go full strut more than likely. Okay. And then I have a flying turkey that I have to start here shortly. How do you get the feathers to sit up on a full, like a full strut turkey? Is like, do you just have to pull? You hang them upside down and let them set that way? Oh. Yeah. Let gravity do the trick. And then it, like, you put like a binder on it or a glue or something, and once that hardens, they stay that way. No, once the skin hardens, that's how the feather stays. Dude, this is so interesting. I should have gone to school for taxidermy because it would have saved me a lot of money across my lifetime. Um, but I would never be good at it either, and that's why I never – like, I've thought of it, and I'd say, like, I could still learn how to become a taxidermist amount, like me and my wife oh, and some of my family stuff, but I'm never going to get good enough at it to be happy because I'm only going to do, like, one or two a year. So – I just always bring it in. But that was I was just kind of curious with that. But you're right. It makes perfect sense. If everything can happen in-house and you send your hides out to get tanned anyway, you got a few months of nothing to do, so you might as well take on birds. I'd rather do birds than fish. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have a fish coming in. He called me right before this podcast, actually. Yeah. I'm surprised this afternoon, but fish are just such a pain, dude. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. What is it? Like a big walleye? Like a big spawn walleye? Couldn't tell you. Oh. No one. Some people tell me what they're bringing in. Some people, like today, it was like, yeah, we just caught a big fish. Okay. Really? Like, I would, man, I would tell, like, hey, man, I caught a 31 inch walleye. Can you mount it? And no, no, he just, I don't even know how long it is. He just asked me for my fish price, and that's it. And I suppose it's just like, dollars per inch or something yeah 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 because you get anything from you know your 13 14 inch perch to your 42 inch northern yeah yeah and then the guy you are you still working with like outsourcing the fish with the guy that does fish or are you starting to do them in-house no i still outhouse them yeah is it mounts or replicas mounts i haven't i've if someone's getting the fish done, like replicas are cool and all. Yeah. You get to release you get to release the fish and everything if you do the measurements right. Like you have to know how to do the measurements. Um but dude, you put a replica next to a skin mount, hands down the skin mount. Are they starting to last longer, though? Because I've seen some older skin mounts, and they start to fade and look a little funny after, like, 15 years. Yeah, so I have well, I have my brother's 8-pound walleye in the shop right now that he caught when he was, like, 5 at the lake right here by Dickinson. And then uh, walleye picked up from my guy in December. And you can tell the difference of them mm. color-wise. Yeah. I don't know if that's just how that taxidermist that mounted my brother's painted it. Yeah. Well, obviously, this one's old. My brother's 20 now. Right. Um, so I don't know if it's that. Um, it has a thing to do with, like, where you put it, too. Yeah. How much sun it gets. How much sun. If it's by a heater Ooh. or, like, a... Yeah. Vent, because your AC and your heat will kick on. Yeah. It'll actually just crack the skin. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, that has a big thing to do with it. 
I've never heard of really any problems as long as you take care of them. Really. Yeah. Like, dust them and all that. Yeah, that's an interesting. We our family does all replicas, and it's mostly because a lot of the fish we mount we release. You know, yeah. I have a forty-three and a half inch pike. My brother's got a fifty-inch muskie. I think he's got like a six-seven pound bass. You know, and we got a couple of crappies. We did eat the crappies, but that's also why we got replicas is because we ate the crappies. Um, oh. And so we've never had like the fish that we could just like give and say here mount this right. So that's why we always do the replicas. So. Um, yeah, that's what's nice about the replicas. You get to either, you know, eat the fish like you said or release it. Yeah. Yeah. And they last forever. I mean, the, the like the paint on the, they're plastic. So the, the paint lasts yeah. for, there's no issues whatsoever. And they look good. I think they look okay. Like, I think, like you said, right out of the shop, they both look phenomenal. Um, yep. I just feel a little bit more confident with that plastic never degrading, which is like the good and bad thing about plastic. Like, it'll always last forever. It's not really a green exactly. material, but. Um, I don't plan on throwing my fish away either, so I don't really worry about the landfill thing. <laughs> so, awesome. Well, I'm glad I'm glad to have you on here. I, um, I'm glad that you went bear hunting for me so then I could share bear hunting content on the podcast. <laughs> and one of these years, I'll definitely do a spring bear hunt because it's, it's, it interests me and it's that perfect time of the year where there's not much else going on. Yeah. So, I, like I said, I highly recommend everyone, I mean, going on a bear hunt. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, just like that, man, we, we ate up an hour. So why don't you give folks a chance to follow you, give them the social medias for the for the taxidermy business, Northwind Taxidermy, and then we'll end this podcast and pick out an elk form. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Northwind Taxidermy. Perfect. Um, Western North Dakota for anyone that's in the area and they're looking for a new taxidermist. My old taxidermist said he doesn't want to do elk anymore because they're too big and heavy and he's got back problems. So I was like, Hey Reese, you want to do my elk? And he said, always down to do an elk. So awesome. Thanks for listening folks. And thanks for being here, Reese. We will get you back on after the next bear hunt when you tag out. Sounds good. Awesome. Talk to you later, folks.